You're listening to the Baby Dust Fertility Podcast, and I'm your host, Hannah Bowers. Now, on to the show. Hi, friends, and welcome back to the Baby Dust Fertility Podcast. I'm your host, Hannah Bowers. Today, I'm excited to introduce our guest, Aubrey Phelps. Aubrey is a registered functional nutritionist, perinatal fitness coach, lactation counselor, kangaroola, and advocate for women as they make the journey into motherhood. I connected with Aubrey on Instagram a while back, and this is so crazy. We discovered that we live only a few hours apart. Aubrey is just a wealth of knowledge when it comes to fertility. She does a beautiful job communicating how to make things work for real people with busy lives. You're going to love this interview, so grab yourself a seat and let's dive in. I am so happy to be sitting down today with Aubrey. Thank you for taking the time to just hang out with me, chat with me. I know we're recording this episode in the evening, uh, taking a well-deserved break, (laughs) and I'm glad to spend that break with you. So thanks so much. Thank you for having me. You know, I have been following your content. Um, Actually, I think you found me first and I'm so glad you did because I really enjoy what you post and I just enjoy following all of the the real things that you share and also all of the education. I think it's just this wonderful blend of authentic and honest. And um, I I just want to start off by just commending you for, for the time and the effort that you put in there and just providing great value and great transparency. So thank you for that. Oh, thank you so much. I feel like um, even though you and I are in the same state, we'd we'd get along well if we lived closer mm. and could just hang out. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure we would. Just like we were talking before we hit record, I, I think we have a lot of overlapping topics of interest. <laughs> uh, but today, I really wanted to sit down and talk to you about a topic that I know you've shared about a little bit. Um, it's a topic that is really common in my Facebook community. Um, and it's this thing of secondary infertility. Um, we, we seem like we go through these phases where we'll have just this influx of new members who are coming in one after the other, who are sharing that this is part of their story. Um, but even with that, there's still just this great, um, just unknown about what is secondary infertility. So before we really dive into our discussion today, I wondered if you could just take a few minutes and just explain that. What is secondary infertility? And how is it different from like your more familiar primary infertility? Yeah, great question. Um, So secondary infertility is infertility after you've already had a child successfully. Mm -hmm. And so versus primary infertility, which is when Mm -hmm. you have trouble conceiving in the first place. And in either case, this can mean you have trouble conceiving at all, or you Mm -hmm. have trouble carrying a baby to far enough along that you can actually deliver. So if you have repeat miscarriages, things like that, that also qualifies as, as that, um, whole under that whole umbrella of infertility. Um, so secondary infertility could be somebody who's had one child, two, three, doesn't really matter, but then they struggle with having a child after that. And by definition, that looks like six to 12 months of trying without success or without, um, having a viable pregnancy. Um, and so what's really interesting to me is that secondary infertility is actually, depending on the source you look at as common as primary infertility. Wow. 
Yeah. So up to 30 to 50% of couples will experience that, Mm. which I think is shocking to people. We kind of think that once you've had a baby, you've had a baby, like this is easy. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that's kind of the, I think it gets missed a lot because there's just an Mm. assumption that once you've had a baby, well, that's, it's easy. Now you're going to continue to have, you won't have trouble when in reality, um, this secondary infertility is just as likely as infertility in general. Mm. Yeah. You know, it, it's definitely one of those things where this ongoing belief that, oh, you've had a kid, you shouldn't struggle. You shouldn't have problems. Um, and sometimes they even see this in our community, which we really try to be cautious and sensitive around each person's story, but of, uh, the, the labeling of, well, you haven't struggled in the first place. And so that just makes, that makes it a really hard conversation to have surrounding this concept of secondary infertility. Yeah. And I think it gets even trickier because I think there's, um, an inherent guilt that you shouldn't be Mm. allowed to complain or allowed to talk about it because you have a baby and there are Mm -hmm. lots of people out there that don't have babies. Um, so both the clients I work with and I personally experience secondary Mm. infertility. And so that experience of I mean, you even have people who say like, well, you, you have a child or you have kids. And so there's an assumption Mm -hmm. that you should be grateful for that. And, and it almost feels like you aren't allowed to be grieving that, that you're not conceiving again or being frustrated about it, or you can't share that. Um, and infertility Mm -hmm. is already such a private topic, Mm -hmm. but when you already have a child or children, I think it, you start to second guess whether you're even allowed to talk about it. Like there's some Mm. sort of like, Oh, I shouldn't, I should be grateful for what I have. And and you don't want to feel like it's you're complaining when there are people out there who have been unable to even have a child. Mm, Yeah. That that's just so hard. It's the, um, that's really the whole comparison, (laughs) that nasty comparison coming out really at its worst in this situation. Well, I think what you said um, that I really want to highlight here is that, you know, most of the time, this is not a diagnosis that comes, you know, you're, you're surprised. You don't expect this. Mm -hmm. You go into this journey because you've already had a child or multiple child children. You don't expect there's gonna be any problem. And so it's just like, oh my goodness, what is going on? Um, And so I think that the shock factor too makes it in and of itself, it can be, it's a different type of struggle, but maybe even harder because you know, you've been there and then it's just not happening again. And yeah, so that's something, I, yeah, go ahead. Uh, go ahead. I was gonna say, absolutely. I have so many mm-hmm. clients that there's, again, there's a, and I know I personally, I, I, I took it really personally. Like, mm-hmm. what am I doing wrong? What did I do that, mm-hmm. you know, because you have been successful before yeah. that it you start to really rack your brain as to what did I do differently? What am I doing Mm -hmm. now? What am I failing to do if Mm -hmm. it happens the first time with ease, et cetera. Um, Mm -hmm. And so it, it, and I think doctors often take it less seriously because Mm -hmm. you have successfully had a child. So there's kind of this like, oh, it'll happen. You've had a kid Mm -hmm. before, so it'll happen. And so it's often downplayed as just a oh, it just needs more time or something like that versus being Mm. taken as seriously. Um, And we already know that infertility in general is often not taken as seriously as it should Mm -hmm. be. Um, So secondary infertility can really fall under that 
same trap where there's just that belief that if you've had one, oh, it's just a timing issue or something else, you know, that it's Mm -hmm. just keep trying. And um, that can make it hard to kind of get the help you need or seek the help you need because Mm -hmm. you, you too think, well, I've done this before. I'm sure it's fine. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's the assumption that because, you know, it's essentially the same routine (laughs) in and out why it'll just, you know, it's going to eventually just work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, you know, one of the things that I was going to ask that I think is we don't often ask this specific question in secondary infertility um, is what are factors that lead up to this? I think that's the great question that everybody wants to know. You know, we go into this, any, anyone who's, who's trying to conceive, who is struggling, goes into this overanalyzing zone. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know from just discussions that sometimes, you know, it can be even more in that secondary infertility state. And so what are those factors? Can we control them? Are they, are there any warning signs that they might play a role here? Sure. So I think, you know, all those factors that play into primary infertility can absolutely play into secondary infertility. Mm -hmm. So, um, abnormal cycles like PCOS, Mm -hmm. um, having endometriosis. Um, Mm -hmm. if you have, um, if there are any issues with sperm or egg health, all of those, those general issues can certainly be at play. I think the other kind of why we see secondary infertility so commonly and why you might say, well, why didn't I have this problem in the first mm-hmm. round? Right. Mm-hmm. I think there are a number of reasons, you know, first of all, you're obviously older because you've already mm-hmm. had a pregnancy. So you're yeah. already going to be older. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's always going to be a factor. Um, mm-hmm. the, the toxic burden overall is going to be higher mm-hmm. because you're older So your eggs have been exposed to more stress. You're probably Mm -hmm. sleep deprived from having a baby, which is creating even more stress on the eggs and sperm. And I don't know about you, but when you have young kids, I don't care how much you know about nutrition, you find that you are eating the scraps <laughs> whenever you can. And, you know, never eating enough. <laughs> exactly. It's just kind of like, you might know those things, but you know, trying to try for a baby. I remember my second pregnancy and thinking, oh my Lord, was I this tired of my first pregnancy? And the answer is probably not because I didn't have another human to take care of. And also I could take breaks whenever I wanted, which with a second human yeah. already in the mix, it just doesn't happen. It's totally different. And so that those factors that you have these added lifestyle stressors of a baby waking you up at night or a toddler waking mm. you up at night, not eating as well, having to take care of another human already, all of those factors create extra stress, extra inflammation non-ideal mm. optimal settings for your system. So that in and of itself is going to detract from egg and sperm quality. And mm. then when you add on top of that, that breastfeeding will deplete you. So if you're mm, not yeah. recovered from breastfeeding, mm-hmm. if you were older, when you conceived your first, you might be trying to closely space your babies because you want to have mm-hmm. more kids before you reach a certain age that doesn't always give the body time to recover between pregnancies. Mm. And so then it's just a compounding effect. Maybe you went into the first pregnancy and you weren't in optimal health, but you got away with it, right? You, mm-hmm. you got under the radar, but now you've been breastfeeding. You've had a pregnancy. You're not eating great. 
those things just keep compounding on each other to the point that your system is like, Hey, we're doing our best, but we don't have much to offer here. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's often a huge factor. It's just that a lot of these women and men are super depleted going into attempting another pregnancy. Um, and clearly that just keeps compounding. If this is your third pregnancy or fourth pregnancy, we're just kind of, if you didn't get back to a healthy baseline each time, then you're going in kind of already with factors working against you. And so I think that, or if you went back on birth control, that's going to deplete your, mm -hmm. a lot of your nutrient stores. So all of these things keep adding up to make it, to just stack the odds against you when you're going in for another pregnancy. Um, so I think that that really contributes to a lot of this. It's just that that stress just keeps adding up. And then on top of that, you know, I have clients that will discover autoimmune issues or clotting mm -hmm. issues that wow. they didn't have in their first pregnancies. And they're kind of like, what gives, like, mm, how did this yeah. suddenly show up? Pregnancy in and of itself is an incredibly stressful event mm. for the system. And so a lot of times that stress will cause these imbalances to finally tip the scales that they show up. Mm, yeah. The things that you got away with not noting or not having to deal with now the scales have been tipped enough because you just got pushed so hard. I have clients that get allergies after pregnancy. I have clients that get sick more frequently after pregnancy. Their immune system just doesn't seem to run as well. And a lot of those are things that always were present. They just didn't have enough stressors there to tip them over into those being um, symptomatic. And so now the body just can't recover well enough. And so that creates the clotting issues and we have the inflammatory mm -hmm. issues. And so then, then they get the secondary infertility or these recurrent miscarriages, whatever it is. Um, again, just because that load on the system is so high. Mm, yeah. You know, I think that's so interesting to point out. Um, you know, we've talked about on the podcast here with, um, in the past, and I know it's a conversation I've had with other professionals that it's like eyes wide open that, Oh, you know, a lot of us are living in a suboptimal state. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I say that with the people who I've discussed, you know, I'm discussing with you, with previous guests, with other professionals, usually we're all in the circle of um, like-mindedness of believing in that optimal spot. But a lot of times that's not the conversation we're having in the doctor's office when we're trying to navigate um, this secondary infertility. And I think that tends to be, it can be so frustrating because it, it almost feels like that there just aren't options, but you just gave a lot of options. <laughs> yeah. And there are a ton of options, but I also think that, you know, we have to be honest with ourselves that, I, I mean, mm -hmm. I forget, I, I couldn't find the study before we came on, but I remember reading recently a study that looked at new parents and it essentially said that sleep deprivation from that first year or two years of life is so significant that it will take up to six years wow. to recover from that. So mm, that's wild. unless you're hanging out for six years between kids, you have to recognize that you are going to go into another pregnancy in a suboptimal state. Mm, and yeah. Part of that is accepting that as long as we're going to be having more than one child, <laughs> we kind of have to accept that we're not necessarily going to be in the optimal, optimal, 
as good as it could get condition. It's just not feasible. Like that's not reasonable. And so once we accept that, we then have to say, okay, so what things can I control? What things can I optimize? How, how close can I get? Um, Mm -hmm. And I say that too, like, you know, for example, we found that this was never tested, but there was based, I had recurrent miscarriages and based on when Mm -hmm. those miscarriages were happening, the one of the theories from my provider was that I may have low progesterone. And even though my cycle was very healthy, everything looked really good. That was one of our suspicions. So, you know, from a totally functional, totally natural perspective, we'd say, okay, we're going to address sleep and stress and all the things and get progesterone beautifully balanced. And (laughs) okay, that's great. But when you're in the midst of trying to conceive and you've now had multiple miscarriages and you know, stress can impact progesterone realistically, we're probably not going to be able to manage that stress well enough that it's still not going to impact that hormone balance in some way, right? Simply because the amount of time and energy and therapy you would have to devote to that, you now have to make the decision, am I going to spend the next two years trying to manage that? Or am I going to try and pursue the family that I wanted to have? And so, you know, for, in my case, I I took progesterone. I made the choice Mm -hmm. that I was going to take exogenous progesterone as opposed to doing all that very specific optimizing Mm -hmm. perfection work. And so that's just to say, I think that because I don't want anyone to hear this and think, oh my gosh, everything has to be perfect before I can try and conceive again. No, there's the optimal. And then there's like, this is real life. And what can we do to kind of make that, where can we compromise and say, I'm not going to do that. There's just no way that's going to happen. And how can I, you know, how can I be realistic Mm -hmm. about this? And where can I say, oh, you know, I could do better there. I can see Mm -hmm. where, how I could make this work more and I could get closer to the optimal on this factor. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's just, you just highlighted the, the beauty of blending, you know, <laughs> mainstream and um, it's not alternative. That's the wrong term, but more functional, integrative, um, whole food, mind, mm-hmm. whole mind, body, spirit, medicine, and c- combining those and trying to get the best of both worlds so that you and your situation, whatever that is, whatever that looks like, whatever makes sense with you, it, it's going to work because it's not really going to look the same from one person with secondary infertility to another. I mean, obviously we each have this different story. So one person's journey is going to be different. Um, but you just gave this like permission and this open door yes. to be like, okay, I think in my situation with, you know, I've got X, Y, and Z going on, I can do that. But then I'm also going to take this intervention over here. And I mm-hmm. think sometimes we, we need that permission especially when, you know, we've done something before, we've not had a problem with it. You know, maybe you, you had a beautiful pregnancy. It went great. Well, you know, the next one can be beautiful too, but it, it just might not be exactly the same. Hey friends, I wanted to quickly pause today's interview to tell you about a product that I'm loving. Stress is a regular part of life. But did you know that having a chronically elevated stress level can impact your menstrual cycle and ability to ovulate? Fullwell's Nourished Nerves is a gentle, drug-free tincture that you can take to support your body's natural stress response. Formulated by a functional dietitian and herbalist, this product is a great addition to your current routine and is safe to use before 
during, and after pregnancy. Order today at fullwellfertility.com and use the code blissberrywellness at checkout to save 10%. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's so important. And I say it partially because it was something that I really grappled with. And I mm-hmm. think a lot of the people who follow you and a lot of people who mm-hmm. I work with have this, they come to me because they want to do everything really functionally, naturally get to the root cause. And I'm all for that. But I also was kind of forced to recognize that mm-hmm. there is a time and a place for other interventions. Mm, um, absolutely. And, you know, I wouldn't have two of my children if I had Mm -hmm. not been willing to compromise on those things. And that doesn't mean that I didn't still do everything I could with my nutrition and really do Mm -hmm. what I could with exercise and really try Mm -hmm. to optimize stress and sleep. But I also recognized that we were missing some piece and I could spend a ton of time, energy, and stress more (laughs) for trying to figure out what that piece was, or we could compromise a little bit and I could use some of these other interventions and giving myself that permission to not do it all holistically and functionally, um, really eased something, you know, Mm -hmm. took a weight off. And I, I find this, I, I have a client that comes to mind right now who they have done all the things they have done such a beautiful job and they just cannot conceive. They just haven't been successful and they've done Mm. all the tests. We've done everything. They're so compliant. They're wonderful. I mean, they're ideal clients. And the conversation we just recently had was about, they're going to pursue doing like IVF or IUI. And I said, you know, I really just talked about like, this isn't a failure. This is a thank goodness we live in a time and a place that these are options for you. And Mm -hmm. everything we've done is going to increase your chances of success with these interventions and to go on to have a healthy pregnancy. Um, Mm -hmm. And the client was just, it was a really just beautiful moment because she was just so like, thank you. Like, yes, I needed like this permission to be up to grieve that my journey isn't going to look the way I thought it was going to. Mm. And that it's also okay for me to be willing to say, I'm done trying it the fully holistic way. Mm. <laughs> and so, yeah. So it was just a really nice moment in, in seeing how much she needed somebody to say that that was okay, that, th- that it was mm-hmm. okay to pursue, pursue those other options. Yeah. Cause I, I feel like sometimes we do pigeonhole ourselves into thinking that if we're just a little more compliant mm-hmm. or if we just do that one other thing. And, uh, I mean, I, I can identify with what you just shared from my own journey aspects of it that didn't really go quite as I had hoped or, or things that needed outside help that I couldn't do. And, um, you know, it, it wasn't the desired next step, but it, it got us to the desired outcome. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's, that's just ultimately so important to just keep at the forefront of our minds and be thinking about, you know, sure, y- you should continue making positive diet and lifestyle changes and, and doing what you can in those areas. But um, that doesn't just erase that you can't also be dipping in this other side. Absolutely. Mm. So we kind of talked a little bit about next steps. Um, but I would, I'd love to just rest here for a second longer, uh, maybe for the couple who is new to secondary infertility, there aren't yet ready for, for having medicated intervention. They kind of want to try it out. What, what are some next things that they can do 
in the meantime, um, hopefully that result in pregnancy, where, where should they start? Yeah. I mean, so when I start with clients, you know, the very first thing we're looking at is how cycles are looking. Um, mm. For some for some women, it can be, again, if they're trying to have babies really close together and they're still breastfeeding, she might be having irregular cycles because her cycle mm. hasn't returned completely. And, and so part of that frustration is recognizing that while as long as those cycles are irregular, it is going to be a little trickier. It is going to be harder to conceive because the timing is going to be harder. And so then we might work to optimize those cycles. We might work to um, optimize her ability to detect her fertile window because that can be mm. trickier to see when she's la yeah. also lactating still. Um, so trying to figure out that balance um, of what that looks like and, and optimizing so that we're getting monthly ovulation. We're getting a clear fertile window. We have a good luteal phase, all the things we would need to conceive that all those basics are in place. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, the next thing would be really focusing on that egg and sperm health, because again, that uh, the vast majority of the time, egg and sperm health are going to be contributing to miscarriage or to the inability to conceive in the first place. And so making sure that both egg and sperm are, are really happy, really healthy. We've put in the work we can to optimize our diet, to optimize our lifestyle, to reduce inflammation, to reduce stress. That's where I would start. Um, and that that's going to be important regardless. Even if they end up going down the IVF, IUI route, having really healthy egg and sperm is going to radically increase their odds of a successful intervention. So mm -hmm. I like to start that as soon as possible, because that's going to help us, whether we end up conceiving naturally, or we end up using an intervention of some sort that's going to be needed. And that takes several months of diligence to actually make a difference in egg and sperm quality. So the sooner we get going on that, the faster we have the, that opportunity to kind of optimize that sperm and egg health. Um, so those are kind of the first places I start. And then it's also tailored based on what their infertility has looked like. So if they're coming to me because they've had recurrent miscarriage, we're also going to do labs because I will probably do labs anyway, but there are more labs that I would do to rule out like clotting disorders, MTHFR and an underlying autoimmune thing, a thyroid mm -hmm. issue that might be contributing to those recurrent miscarriages. So that would alter how we would approach it slightly, just in that we'd want to kind of rule out a number of things to make sure there wasn't something obvious or something super treatable that was just going to continue to cause problems. Mm, yeah. And I, I like that early focus on specifically speaking for couples who've gone through losses of trying to rule those things out. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like that that's a huge piece that it's a frustrating point that we have um, a lot of posters in our group uh, members who just share that they, they have trouble getting access mm -hmm. to labs very quickly. And so I like that you highlight that as something that you offer that you, that you prioritize early. Um, I think the more data that you can have, I mean, obviously given the situation, not all situations need a massive amount of data, but the more data sure. you can have can be so insightful either to cross something off as a problem or provide an answer. 
Absolutely. And especially with recurrent miscarriage, because mm, there's just yeah. that, that is typically, yes, the, the vast majority of the time, early recurrent miscarriage has to do with sperm and egg quality. That's, it's mm. just, the research clearly shows that. However, a lot of physicians wait until you've had three or more losses before they'll do mm-hmm. a screen. And I think that's ridiculous. Now, after mm, one, I, I wouldn't suggest it like miscarriages miscarriages happen a lot. Mm -hmm. So just after one, as, as horrible and painful as that is, the odds are really good that women are going to have a miscarriage, honestly, like they're, they're very high. So Mm it's, it's, it's likely that you would, especially the more children you have, the more pregnancies you go for. But if you've had two, that to me is enough of a red flag to say, why not just get the lab work? There's no Mm -hmm. harm in getting the lab work, Mm -hmm. but why go through grieving yet another loss if there was something preventable that we could have found after those two? And you could, I mean, if you really wanted to, you could totally get those labs after the first Um, with the idea being that, again, there's no downside to those labs. As Mm -hmm. long as you're getting the labs that are meaningful and actionable, there's no downside to having that information. The worst that happens I say that kind of in, in quotes is, um, <laughs> that nothing comes back wrong, right. That all of your tests are great <laughs> and there's yeah. nothing that you can pinpoint. Um, <laughs> but then at least you have that knowledge. Um, mm-hmm. so, you know, for me after my second loss, I immediately called my OB and said, can we do the labs? And he's like, of course. And so we did our whole panel of labs. Um, and so it was just reassuring to know, okay, there's nothing obvious that we could be doing right now. This is just really crappy, but there's nothing obvious that I'm missing or that I need to be taken care of. Um, and, and at least knowing that felt like I was doing something. And so that's something, you know, with my clients that if you've had two, I'm going to really push that we get some labs and make sure we're not missing something. Mm, absolutely. And I, I think the, it just, it's reassuring. It's, it's helpful for the whole care team can get everyone on the same page. So those next steps are, are helpful. They kind of, they give you like the idea of, okay, this is kind of where we need to go. Um, But for the couple that's been here for a while, what words of encouragement would you share? Because this can be such a lonely, and, and I say this knowing that all of infertility is lonely, but you know, our, our story doesn't, it has included, working through fertility struggles with each of our children. And so I remember, you know, being on the backside of our first son, thinking about, you know, having that next son. And it's just that you're, you're lonely in a special way. So what, what words of encouragement would you have for someone? Yeah. Um, it's so lonely. That's just such a great way to describe it. And so you know, my personal experience is I had three miscarriages before our third, Mm. and then I actually had another before our fourth. Um, so, you know, for me, I've, I've held just as many babies as I've not. And so that's, that I think finding, finding groups like the, there are, you know, I, I follow a bunch of accounts on Instagram that are like, um, the miscarriage hope desk and Mm, the, um, the, um, I follow traumatic birth one and some others, but finding groups that are people who are going to resonate with you, who are really going to get you, I think is really helpful. I remember 
I had this other mom friend and she had had a miscarriage and then she got pregnant and I, I got pregnant and I kind of asked her, you know, how did you, you know, how are you making it through every day? Because I was, I was struggling each and every day. And she said, well, I just, you know, I know the odds of it happening twice are just so low. And this is what, after I had had three and I was like, oh, that does not help me. <laughs> so, you know, finding people that have been in a similar space who have experienced multiple losses or who have gone through unexplained infertility. Um, I think that is helpful just because you feel less alone um, and a little more seen. And there's something, you know, this will sound sad, but you know, like the misery loves company. There is something about like knowing that other people are dealing with the same pain you're dealing with that makes it a little more bearable, um, mm -hmm. in my experience. And so I think that that can be really helpful, but then also find your team, like find the people who you think are, are, are in it for the long haul to go through it with you. You know, I, I found my chiropractor, I found my acupuncturist, I found my, you know, my friends, my team, I found my doula, I found my OB, you know, find the people who, are going to go through it with you and who are going to be just as motivated as you to figure out what are our next steps, who are going to mm -hmm. help you make those choices. I mean, I remember my OB being visibly frustrated and upset for me that I had had another loss, that it was, it wasn't just another day in the office. Like he, he was, he was mad for me that I was experiencing this. And that meant so much. I felt, I felt seen. And I felt like this was somebody who was going to do everything in their power to get me through this, however that looked. And that again, made a huge difference. That was, that was so it didn't make it easier, but it made me feel less alone in it. And so I think, you know, finding that support group, finding that team, having other people in your corner so that you don't feel like you're the only one making these decisions, I think makes a huge difference in helping you figure out what the next steps are, what your options are, um, because it can quickly feel like you have no options left. And mm -hmm. so having other people who can bring in perspectives and who can be there to say, well, what do you want? How do you want, you know, what do you want your next steps to be? How do we want to go for interventions or do you want to grow your family in a different way? Like, what is it you want to do? I think can be really helpful in figuring out how to get to the next place, how to orient yourself to a future that doesn't look the way you thought it was going to and, and figure out how to try to get there. Mm, yeah, that's great advice. So if someone's listening in, they've been listening to you talk and they're like, I want you on my team. <laughs> can you tell us how to make that happen? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I assume you're going to post, you can post kind of the actual links when you do the podcast. Yep. Everything yeah. is in, in the <laughs> show notes and we'll just send people right to them. <laughs> Perfect. Because um, you can find me at Matrescence Nutrition, but I know Matrescence is tricky for people to spell. So mm -hmm. I always like when it's in there um, yeah. and you can reach out to me there via email. Um, I also am matrescence.nutrition on Instagram and you can message me there or you can find me there and kind of, I have people who kind of just lurk and follow the posts and so forth. Um, so you can find me in either of those places and I am ready and willing to help 
anybody who needs the support, I think, you know, my, my biggest goal is always to just empower women to feel like they know what questions to ask and what Mm. steps to take. And even if I'm not the person that can get them where they want to go, I want to help them figure out who it is. Um, So that's kind of my biggest goal is just educating, empowering, and giving women the confidence to ask the right questions, to advocate for themselves so that they can get where they want to go. Well, I, um, I appreciate everything you post for those of you who are listening. I've got a link to Aubrey's Instagram right below. You can click that. It'll take you right there and you can, um, scroll, enjoy. There's a lot of good stuff. So definitely check that out. Um, but thank you. Thank you for taking the time to kind of talk through this topic with us. Um, and just sharing both from your own journey and from your professional experience. Thank you. I'm so glad I could join you today. Thanks for tuning into the Baby Dust Fertility Podcast. Please share this episode with a friend and be sure to follow Baby Dust at babydust.substack.com for updates on all new episodes and free fertility resource guides. Until next time, I'm your host, Hannah Bowers. Bye for now.